Uh, before I share a few things, is Sarah, oh, right there. Sarah is going to share, she's part of the first phase of the Poland mission team. You can come on up. There's the microphone right there. Oh. Just asked her if she would share a little bit about what she saw and take your liberty. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Thank you. Can you just turn the lights up a bit, Justin, so I can <laughs> see everybody's faces? It's like looking into a dark room. But um, yes, thank you for all your um, prayers. That's better. Um, and support. Um, a quick testimony to what Pastor Chris was just saying. When I was a teenager, I pledged money to a missions or, or um, Overland Missions, where the Coluchis, Oscar, all those um, people that have come through for a thousand dollars. And I was in college and not, you know, making very much money. And it took me a very long time to pay off that pledge. But I've been sewing into the mission field for years and years and years. Um, I didn't pay for this trip to Poland. The people in this house blessed me. And not a dime came out of my pocket to go on this trip. And that is a huge testimony to sowing and reaping. Whatever we sow, that is what we will reap. Right? So that, that's just a quick testimony. But yeah, it was um, a huge blessing to, um, it was such a quick, like, lightning trip because I was only there a week. But um, being able to work in a 100-year-old building, converting, um, it was apartments, you know, changing it to multiple apartments, um, took a lot of energy, a lot of time. You know, my hands are still sore from cleaning bricks and um, smashing walls and taking nails out of boards, all sorts of things like that, that um, it was it just really reminded me the biggest thing was the, um, in Ephesians 4.12, about the whole body being joined and knit together. Each one has its part. So we had to take down walls and then clean the bricks and then make the mortar and then build new walls. And everybody had, you know, a role to play in that team. And when Pastor Josh prayed for us going out, he spoke unity, and that, that spoke to me so powerfully because that's really was it, what it was. Like, I, if I just sat in, you know, five hours a day cleaning bricks, you know, they would do nothing. They don't build themselves. It was somebody else, you know, building and putting the mortar together, and that's, again, a part of the body. I couldn't go on this trip if it wasn't for friends and family that watched my children so that I could go. You know, that was part of the body. You guys are part of the blessing. You're part of the, the sending um, so, so, you know, thank you and feel that and feel that, you know, the women that we touched, um, the refugees, I don't know what I was thinking when I was going there, my head, you think refugees, you think these like impoverished people and maybe because I've, I've never been to a non third world country for a mission trip where they're so desolate and desperate. Um, but some of these women were doctors and they had beautiful lives. They kept saying, and then we left our beautiful homes. You know, it wasn't that they were like a slum that got destroyed. You know, it's a huge, a huge place, and, and they lost their livelihood. They had good lives that they just had to grab their kids in a backpack and get where they could get because they had no choice. Um, and if I thought that, like, as a businesswoman, if I had to just, I don't know, flee to Canada or something, that it wasn't because I had nothing, you know. So it was, it was an interesting kind of perspective that these women were, had these wonderful, beautiful lives, but they just was ripped out from underneath them, and they had no choice but to go and come to Poland. Um, again, with the body of Christ, they, did you know that there was a woman here that was born in Ukraine that is in our church, that comes faithfully to our church, lived in Russia, Moscow when she was a kid, speaks Russian, flew to Poland with us, 
<laughs> and interpreted for the women and you Ukrainians because of the Russian influence in Ukraine, they all speak Russian, and translated where before Jared and Charlene were telling us that they would have to translate Ukrainian into Polish and then into English. But because the Ukrainians speak Russian, they could do it directly from Russian to English. So Annie was played, I mean, the fact that <laughs> we're flying over Poland, she's like, oh, my sister was born there, the city, you know, and it was just so incredible. And she was such a godsend that she was there able to communicate. And that was, again, and somebody in this house that was being sent and was there for a purpose to minister to these women. Um, I mean, did you know that there was a Puerto Rican that wears kilts and is learning to play the bagpipes? <laughs> did you know that? <laughs> That's what you wish. <laughs> you know, you learn to you learn to to get to know these people that you're traveling with, and but every single person was was a blessing and was such unity. I've been on a lot of teams, have led teams over, overseas, and there's always been a problem. There's always been complaining and whining. There was none of that. It was so. Uh, it was just wonderful. Everybody's just happy to. Like I said, we were made a pile of bricks as a seat, sat with a bucket and chipped chipped mortar and <laughs> plaster off of bricks to again put it in in another cog in the wheel to make it work and be effective. And again, you were all part of that, and I'm thankful for everyone that sent me and blessed me and and took care of my children while I was gone and just really um, seeing that as as a whole and in the big picture is really important to understand that maybe you couldn't go this time, but there is opportunity there will be more trips and being a part of this house is is huge and um yeah so i'm really blessed thank you thank you jesus well, i think as i said the day we were hearing from Jared about the trip they're about to take. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. When you're going to do something big like this, you've got to go as a team. You need, you need a body. You need to be part of what Jesus knew we would need, which is to be part of the body of Christ, to be knitted in, to build relationships and to be vulnerable and to allow people to really get to know us. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's challenging. But the reality is that's what we're made to do, so we've got to just do it. I know it's easier for some people to make relationships and find a place to fit, and for others it's much harder, but we've got to find a way to do it because it's the church, it's the body, it's the prayers of the saints, it's the, it's the, it's the conglomerate of all of us coming together that is what's uh, affecting the atmosphere of heaven. Even I just sense it so strong in, in my heart. Um, what we're doing over there, what the team is, is, is doing is just it's incredible. It really is beyond what words can explain and there'll be back next Sunday so we're hoping to get a bunch of the folks to uh, share a little bit of what they pulled out of the trip and uh, again it's there's wives and husbands and people that are separated by this couple of week thing to be able to go and do what God showed us to do and uh, we're just thankful that there's a church family around those people so no one's really having to carry the full weight of of this sacrifice on, on their own shoulders and so I just before I say what I want to say this morning I want to remind everyone that um, this Wednesday evening is prayer meeting. Second Wednesday of the month is, is corporate prayer. I get this real strong sense in my heart that, you know, we, we can all pray in our car. We all know how to pray in those moments when we find time to pray, but there's still something special about coming together for prayer. And uh, I just want to encourage you, 
Uh, maybe you physically can't. Maybe your schedule just doesn't permit you to come on a Wednesday evening. But consider, just mark your phone, put a little thing on there, reminder that at 7 o'clock there will be prayer happening here Wednesday evening. And just maybe you can pull aside in your own bedroom or living room or car or whatever. God's not limited by, by where we are. But just prayer is, 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 is such a key component of what is happening globally and in heaven and on earth. And I just, I just am so blown away. I'm still processing this reality. I know that our prayers affect God. That's why we pray. Answered prayers are what we're, the whole point of praying. And yet to realize that angels and, and, and that the, heaven, the, the, the folks that are right at the throne of God are mixing in the prayers that are coming with the smell of heaven and all of that together is what's triggering some of the events in heaven that then affect earth. And this cycle of, of God wants us to be involved. He didn't just form the church because we were just sort of an accessory to his great plan. We were his great plan. He said the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. We are the plan of God, and some people, they miss that, and so they think it's just something you do on a Sunday, but the reality is people come together. We form a force on the earth that the enemy knows he can't stand against, that the spiritual forces, uh, the gates of hell, whatever that specific phrase means, it's a spiritual term, and they have no hope to stand against people of faith. Faith is that marker by which we stand. It's the thing that makes us different. It's why we're called believers, and all who believe are given certain things. We just have to choose to... Uh, continue to stay in faith and to exercise those things. But I just want to, I'm going to jump in. I mean, we're getting a, a little bit of a late start, so I'll, as always, need to compress a few things here. But I just, the, the, the essence of what I want to talk about is worship. It's not songs. It's not, it's part of it. Singing and all that is, is absolutely part of it. But worship ultimately is just obedience. It's who do you surrender your life to? Who do you follow? Who do you honor and, and give honor to? And, uh, there's two things that I feel like, as I'm looking, we're going to look at two passages about worship and praise. One will be uh, in Samuel, one will be in, um, in Luke. But I just, there's two things that I think we, we miss, we underestimate, let's say it that way. There's two major things that we underestimate. One is the greatness of our God. And I know how much the enemy has to do with that. He can get us distracted with stuff that's not working, with frustrations in our life, for, if, just distracted with the places where we miss the mark. Then we'll get distracted with our own thing, and we miss how great the one who calls us his sons and daughters is. Because praise and worship flows from that perspective of you see how great and amazing he is, and it just triggers something. The created, is just, it's natural for the created to praise the creator. It's instinctive. It, it should be natural to us to just recognize he's made us. We didn't make ourselves, and therefore we have, what other, what other response can we have but to praise him? Thank you. We're here. Thank you, Jesus. There should be just a gratitude that flows from us as believers simply because of the reality we've discovered that he made us and not we ourselves. We've discovered that we were his intent before we thought, you know, maybe we found God. That's, that's false. He found us, and he paved a way for us to come to the sense from our perspective that we found him, but God found us. He loved us first, therefore we loved him. These things are just fundamental to our faith and just want to just maybe say them, reiterate them, remind you as Chris did, but I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures. We know Genesis 1-1, there is no greater scripture in the Bible. In the beginning, God created. If you miss that one, you've missed everything. Don't even bother reading the rest. In the beginning, God created. The enemy knew that. That's why he took it away from our generation that currently is out there going to school and being trained in secular universities. He had to steal that first. Because once he could steal that, he can sidetrack everything else. 
If God did not create, and we are not his intention first, and earth is just sort of this random accident that happened through enough billions of years, then I'm telling you, you're wasting your time being here today. Because if you can't believe that God created the natural, how do you believe he created the plan of salvation? What credence will you give the plan that the cross of Jesus Christ was enough to save you from hell and bring you to heaven if you can't grasp by faith that the Bible says in the beginning God created? And then it goes into detail and tells the sequence of it. So when we look into nature, we can begin to see the evidence, clear evidence that God is true and what man have come up with is just a lie. But we still have to choose to believe it by faith. It will still come a point where you have to choose what are you going to believe. And that's what I've been talking about. Time is short. We're at the end of this thing. And so it's time to choose who we're going to believe. The word of God true? Or is it just something that's up for debate? Because if it's up for debate, then debate it wherever you want. But how are you going to trust the plan for salvation if you don't trust the plan that said, let there be, and there was? Yeah. I'm just going to be real with you. There's a greatness of our God that's missed when you just make it up for your, well, I don't know about that. Well, you don't need to know about it. It's what it is. Yeah. I remember as an arrogant college student thinking I had this all figured out because of all these intellects, you know, putting all this information into you, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, man, I, my poor dumb parents didn't know all this stuff, or they wouldn't have taught me this, this fairy tale of God just made everything. And all of a sudden, he split my forehead with the supernatural, I saw his fingerprints. I don't know how else to say it. It still hits me so deep. I saw his fingerprints. 80,000 times magnification through an electron microscope, stuff so small you can't even fathom it. And when you see it, you can't debate it anymore. Do you want to see his fingerprints? All you have to do is ask him. I wasn't in a good place. You don't have to be in a good place. But in a moment, he can just smack you like he did with Saul on the Damascus Road. He's going there to do what he thinks God wants him to do. Boom. Sorry, bud, you're doing the wrong thing. You're doing it all backwards. You can have a moment like that, but you have to want it. You've got to be desperate. You've got to come to a place where you realize all my brainiac, intellectual, 4.0 average means squat compared to the fact that I have a life to live. I have people that rely on me to love them and to provide for them, and I don't know how to do it. And I'm convinced that part of what's happening in places like Kentucky and Asbury and these different pockets where it's just, just the, the, like Andy said, the actuality that God created Therefore, it's no longer on us to just make up the rules as we go. You have to surrender your life to the Word. I have to surrender my life to what the book says. I can't just make it up any longer. It's a fool that does that. It's someone that is ignorant in their own inflated. That's why he's a stumbling block to those who are wise. It's the foolishness of God is still wiser than all men. And there's a reality that we have to grasp in this, in this time of planet Earth because our worship must come from a place of just the basic understanding. He's who he said he is, therefore what else am I supposed to do except to worship him, except stand in awe of him, except believe that he's the one who has the power with one whisper of his voice to change everything that I know about in my life. For his glory, by his ability. Jer Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Sometimes he had to just come through a prophet and just say, go tell the people to quit whatever you're on about. Is there anything too hard for me? I'm the God of all flesh. He made it all. He had the recipe, the code for it all written down in his libraries that he has someplace up there where every creature would have a specific story written in just four <laughs> nucleotide sequences. 
Can you imagine creating everything, your ability to see, your eyesight, your hearing? It's all just made from the way that the, we think zeros and ones are a big thing for the computer people. He cheated. He used four. Basic building blocks of DNA so that they tell a story, and that story just gets told over every time two of the male and female of a species comes together from the beginning of time. And we're not sure if we can trust him. We're not sure if maybe he doesn't know a little bit more about our lives than we do. It's, it's the blindness that comes until you have a moment where you realize, okay, God, I'm not debating the first part again. Jesus looked at them in Matthew 19. He says, with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. How great is our God? Is he the God that creates? Is he a God that speaks and things happen? Or is he just someone else that we've just relinquished his position and his ability to what we've experienced of him? I'm sorry, my experience of God is nothing compared to who he is. I may have tasted, I may have smelled something as he just wafted by, but the essence and the fullness of who God is, no human being can possibly contain that. Moses could just barely see the the backside of him kind of walk past and it came down from the mountain and his face was still glowing. We have the Holy Spirit living within us and sometimes it's hard for us to get our faces to glow because we're still so concerned and wrapped up with the cares of this world. And we're confused because of the brokenness of this sin-infested planet. And we forget the greatness of our God. He created a perfect universe. And sin contaminated it, obviously did a terrible job of that. The other thing that we underestimate is the frailty of human flesh. If you miss the greatness of God, you will immediately ascribe too much greatness to your humanity and think, oh, well, if you don't have a great God, you're going to have to be pretty great yourself. And you're going to become self-reliant, and you're going to figure it out on your own, and you're going to find a strategy that's going to get you to the place that you want to be. And you, then, like Chris was just saying, we forget that it was him that gave us breath in the first place. We were the intention of his heart before we came to earth through our parents. And we forget these things, these basic scriptural truths that are just spread throughout the entire scriptures. First Peter, we've been looking at Peter a lot, right? Chapter 1, verse 22, I'm just going to read. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Do you see the contrast? Flesh is just, it's here in the morning, it's gone in the evening. It's like the flower, it's, it's here and it fades. The glory of God is permanent. What he wants to accomplish in our life through the word that endures forever is to allow us to live a life with significance beyond this one because it's temporary. No matter how young you are, it doesn't matter. It's still just a flash in the bucket. Talk to your grandparents. There's not a single grandparent you can talk to that says, yeah, it just feels like it's been forever. I just can't wait to go. They always, it feels like just yesterday, I was riding my bicycle, I was learning how to get the training, just yesterday, just seems like yesterday, it went so fast, I wish it could have gone back and changed different things, because it goes by before you know it's even happening. It's the nature of the truth, that's the truth, but it's not comfortable to think about if all that you want to build is just based in this world, and yet it's the very world that Jesus wants us to be in, but to not be of it, to steward it, but to not fall in love with it. And to stay in love with him, the one who thankfully has a new heaven and a new earth where there's no iniquity that he's preparing for those who believe. But when we come to worship, worship considers both realities. And that's what I want to read about David. 
And the story of David, I, if I try to summarize it, I'm probably going to take longer than just reading it. So we're going to, it's a chunk here. It's 2 Samuel 6, if you're making notes. Verse 14. The ark's coming back. It was in the enemy possession for a while. Then they tried to bring it back. They made some mistakes. And then it was stored at someone's house. That person's house started to get blessed. So David got his confidence back. And he's finally bringing the ark, which is the place where the Lord's presence dwelt between the... Uh, on, the, on the mercy seat there. And, and so this is just a, it's a, it's a basic story. Let me just read it. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked his wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And so they brought, the first problem here, I'll just pause for a quick second. If you're looking at faith through a window, if you're watching other people's faith journey and it's not your own yet, don't expect you to have anything good to say about it. You won't. You can't. Until you taste and see that the Lord is good, you're just going to, I don't know what they're all on about. I don't think it tastes that good. Taste it and see. Get serious, fast, pray, whatever you have to do to have a moment where you encounter his presence and all of a sudden it'll make sense. You can't watch through a window and expect to have anything other than a critical spirit. The critics in church are the ones where they're just looking through a window. It could be the windshield of their car. It could be they come and put a window in the front of the chair when they watch the message or they experience worship or they're in worship. But you can stay protected from God's presence. It's just a simple heart thing. If you're just observing through a window, she wasn't out on the street celebrating the fact that the ark was coming back in. She was born in the king's house. She was a king. She was David's predecessor's daughter. She was born in the, in the, in the, in the, the palace. She was a palace kid. David was a shepherd boy out in the middle of nowhere, the last of the brothers that was just left out there to watch sheep for his life. And God sent the prophet to find him and weed him out and say, no, you're the future king. All of a sudden, he's king. He's bringing the presence of God back in. He's so excited. He can't believe why. Because he knows who he was and he knows how he got where he was. Let me finish the story. He says all that for himself and I just put all those words in his mouth. Leaping and whirling before the Lord, she despised him. And so they brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place. In the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, somebody was busy baking, a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. And so all the people departed. Everyone to his house. And then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You hear the sarcasm. She's being sarcastic. She's mocking him. She's like, Oh, weren't you just so glorious, the king of Israel today, dancing around, all excited about something that from inside my window here in the palace where I was born and raised didn't look like anything to worthy of exposing yourself and being seen by the people as someone that's all excited about what only David could know about. Why did David know about it, though? Listen to what he says. David says to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. He wasn't dancing for her and he wasn't dancing for people. He was dancing for the one whose presence was in that ark that he knew he was the one that found him in the field and brought him to that place. 
You see the contrast he had, the perspective that he had. She didn't have it. She was born in the palace. Everything, she was fanfare. All she had to do was go out. She was the king's daughter. She had nothing to appreciate. He was out in the fields. He was discovered. God anointed him and brings him into the palace to reign and to rule and to lord over his people and to represent. David was called a man after God's own heart. There were certain things that he did with passion and zeal that touched God. That's how God, he's a zealous God. He's a jealous God. He loves us with, a, with, a, with an incredible love. And David exemplifies that in this situation. But listen, this is what he says to her. It's because he found me. I danced for him, not for you. He chose me to be in the place that I'm in. I didn't choose myself. Didn't come here by accident. He did it, and he knew that he did it. Therefore, what happens? His heart is full of worship. I know I was created. I know I have a purpose. I know every one of my children have a purpose. I know the plans he has for me are good. Why? Because I choose to believe his word. It's that simple. You could try to take that from me, but you can't because there's not an argument that you can argue to take that away from me. It's in my heart. I know who he is. He showed himself to me, just a piece of his fingerprint. Therefore, (laughs) he basically tells her, yeah, it's going to get worse. You think that was bad? Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this. And I will be humble in my own sight. In other words, he said, I'd rather be a fool from what everybody else thinks about my life. But in the one sight that I care about, I'll be humble. I'll do what it takes. But I will sing to him. And I will be even more undignified than this for the sake of him. Not for the sake of what people think. We'll stop that one there because I want to save time to read the next one. He recognized where he came from, he recognized where he was, and he recognized who was responsible for his current position. That's the heart of a worshiper. Why is David the worshiping king? Why are the Psalms written by him? Because he understood those basic things. I'm convinced some people just have no idea that they were, they, what they were saved from. I was raised with the fear of the Lord. I know what I was saved from. The book's full of what hell is like. It's full of what separation from the Lord is like. And it's misery forever. And I know how glorious heaven is promised to be. And I know the samples and the little moments of worship and times when you just sense how good it's going to be there. And you just cling to that. Because the contrast from those two, if that doesn't produce worship in your heart, you just haven't experienced one of those revelations yet. But you can if you ask him for it. And so Luke 19, 37 to 40, this is a little bit shorter. Verse 37, it says, Then as Jesus was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, he's at the foothills of Mount of Olives coming towards Jerusalem, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Why wouldn't they? They were just common, normal, sick. Most of the people that were touched by Jesus and saw great things is because they were desperate. They were blind. They had leprosy. They were losing a loved one. They needed Jesus, and a miracle happened. They saw his goodness, and what else are they going to do except to praise him and to glorify him? They were just common folks that knew their life had been changed by him. 
They had seen something that the rest of the world wasn't seeing, and they were full of joy, and they were rejoicing and, and praising him. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And yet, some of the Pharisees called to him from the same crowd. It's almost like they were embedded. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones themselves would immediately cry out. Why? Because the stones know somehow that they were created, whereas the big brain Pharisees didn't understand that their creator was walking down the street towards them. And they're saying, hey, you don't deserve this praise. Tell these people to stop praising you. You can tell it's not for you. It's not supposed, it's, it's blasphemous. It's not okay. It's wrong. And he's yelling. He's like, you guys have missed it so far. These rocks have more common sense about who I am than you do. It's basically what he told them. Rocks for brains. <laughs> Those whose lives were impacted and changed by Christ could see it with no filter. It was so obvious to them. They weren't afraid of praising him like, oh, I hope this isn't blasphemy. I don't want to go to hell. For they just knew there was something because they were touched by him. They were changed by him. They saw heaven come to earth and dwell within them. They knew the reality that this was the Messiah. There was no debating it. They were praising and worshiping him. The Pharisees were there to say, hey, wait a minute, if this is the wrong person and you're doing this, you know, you got to get stoned alongside of him. There was real risk in what they were doing. These, they didn't handle these weird... When someone was found out to be fake, they were dealt with. It was like a religious mafia almost back, back then. You know, those Pharisees and scribes, they could drum up, look what they did to Jesus. I don't need to say anything more. They knew how to sway public opinion. They knew how to get the results that they wanted, even if it was murder. But I'm telling you, it was the religious that thought they had that patent on what worship was supposed to be. But who actually understood worship? Those whose lives were touched by him. Those whose hearts were changed by him. David being out in the field, coming into the palace, knowing he had no more right to be there than a sheep. And yet God's prophet went to him and found him and called him and anointed him and, and set him up for that path, prepared him for that path to one day be in the place where he would be the king that would bring the ark back, the presence of God back into Israel, back into the place where it was always meant to be and never was meant to be lost from because King Saul had made a disaster of everything. I believe this morning it's just a question of, of our humility before him. I believe in our prayer life. What, what is our prayer life like? This week has been just challenging for me because I'm, I'm realizing this, that, that what's the common thread in so much of what God's doing on earth right now, it's not about signs and wonders and miracles. It's about people just coming and pouring their hearts out because they're just so desperate to be heard by a God who hears, to be seen by a God who sees because they feel invisible. They feel just one in the matrix of just people with all their own self-measurement systems and all their own ways of finding significance. And he's just there saying, you're significant because I made you. You're significant because I have a plan for you before time began. I saved you and called you with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to my purpose and my idea. Before time began, that's 2 Timothy. If you want to look that up, Pastor Vaughn's favorite scripture. In fact, let's just stand together. I know time is up, but I'm going to finish with reading this scripture because I don't like mentioning it without reading it in its fullness. This was Pastor Vaughn Gerald's life scripture. In chapter 1 and verse 7, it says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power 
and of love and of a sound mind. I'm sure David looked crazy. I'm sure the people in the street saying, Jesus, we love you. And they, they were thought to be crazy by everybody of significance then too. Didn't matter. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Nor of me, this is Paul writing to Timothy, he's in prison again. Nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his own grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You're not going to figure that out, so don't bother. He speaks and the universe happens and we want to figure him out? That's insane. If you're going to claim to believe the first, then we've got to stop with the rest. If he's great enough for that, he's great enough to have a plan for my salvation before time even started. Before I even made one sin, he somehow had a plan in place for it. You can't put that in linear gray matter processor and expect to come up with something that won't take you 10,000 words to try to explain and just confuse anyone that tries to read it. Because I've tried reading some of those and they're just mind-bending. His own purpose, his power, the power of the gospel, not according to works, given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles sitting on a cold prison floor. He's writing this. Abolish death. <laughs> He's like, ah, we won't need that anymore. Just abolished it. <laughs> he brought life. Immortality means life that doesn't end. Eternal life through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Folks, all we've ever done is just simply agreed with the intentions that were already in his heart to save us. If you've come to Christ, all you did was you agreed with what was already intended in his heart to do for you. You just chose to agree with it. Jesus, this morning we're humbled that you would choose to use the frailty of human flesh to contain a message, a presence, a holiness, a reality called the kingdom of heaven by the same spirit that brought you from death to life, out of a tomb, back to the reality, the land of the living. Father, that same spirit you've now entrusted into the vessels that you've cleansed by your blood. And Lord Jesus, we don't need anything else. We don't need something magical to come from heaven, to be full of the confidence and know that you love us, that you have a plan for us. Lord, that our lives can be changed by just a simple faith that just chooses to trust you in the face of what other people say we can't trust. 
Jesus. We're not trusting a system. We're not trusting even a church movement. We're trusting you. You are the head of the church. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, this morning we just we're just humbled, Lord, because there's no place else we can go. You wrote the words. You are the word of eternal life. You contain them. You breathe them. When we're in your presence, Lord, there's a confidence that can only come from you. Jesus, you deserve all the glory. As King David said, this was not for people. This was not for his wife to see. This was for you to see. That the thrill of our heart is to simply know that we've seen how good you are. We've seen what you've brought us from, what you've promised to take us from. And we've also seen, Lord, by faith, what's been revealed to our spirit, man. And that is the promises that we will have of being with you in a place where there will no longer be tears and suffering, but there will be beauty and peace and love. and Just the glory of your presence outside of time. Lord Jesus, this morning, we just ask that you just lift any blinders off of eyes that have just been programmed by the lies of this world, that, Lord, that the film could be lifted, whether it's thick or, or thin, just that they could see clearly how much you love them, how much you've planned for them, how much before they existed you loved them. Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are stirring our hearts to a place of being in prayer before you, just humbly, just talking to the one who has a plan. Lord, it seems like no one has a plan that's working. But we know you have a plan. You have trumpets about to sound. You have coals about to fling over the earth. You have, you're working on something, Jesus, and we just choose to trust you in it. Lord, show us our part. Show us how we can worship you through whatever we don't understand. Lord, we don't have to have it all figured out. We can see what we've seen and know you're the name that's worthy to be praised. You are worthy of praise, Jesus. You are worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And Lord, as the incense in heaven is just rising before you, I thank you, Lord, that you're considering the, the deep prayers of our hearts, Lord, even those unspoken, those places that seem too deep sometimes, Lord. Even there, Holy Spirit, you'll direct us. You'll lead us into fellowship that allows for those heavinesses to be just transformed and just given to you. I just think, I just feel the Lord saying secrets. There's a lot of secrets. You, you have secrets. People have secrets. Maybe it's just a couple people, but there's no secrets with him. He's seen it all from the beginning. So don't, <laughs> just be relieved of the burden of keeping those secrets and just bring them to him. There are no secrets. There are not, there's nothing hidden that he hasn't already seen, and yet he still loves you. He still has a plan for you to be free, to be healed, to be delivered, to be made brand new. God, we thank you that you are faithful to follow after your word, to perform it, to bring every single one of them to produce the harvest they were intended to produce. God, we're just humbled to know that you choose us. What else can we say than we worship you, Lord, and we honor you? We just give you all the praise and the glory. For you are faithful and you are good. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. 